0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you all this morning. If you have a Bible with you, would you please open it now to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Today, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Acts. We're going to continue to learn what it looks like to be the church. Last week, Ryan hopefully guided us through Paul's actions after the Jerusalem Council and how he and Timothy navigated personal considerations and sacrifices for the sake of mission. This morning we're going to see how the Holy Spirit then intervenes and redirects Paul and his companions as they continue on their missionary journey. You see, there are certain decisions in our life that are clear-cut. When we have to choose between something that's obviously bad and obviously good, it's not hard to know which to choose. But what do we do when we're forced to choose between two good options, or even three or four? I'm sure you're familiar with this experience. My wife and I have this um, debate all the time when we're trying to decide where to eat. It's not that the options are bad. It's just that there's too many ones that we are happy with. There's too many options that are good. We don't care enough to choose which. It can be hard to know how to choose between multiple good options. It can be hard to know which good path we should follow in life. And as we turn our attention to the text this morning, we'll see that even the Apostle Paul and his companions needed some guidance and intervention from the Holy Spirit to figure out which was the proper good path. So hopefully now you have your Bibles open, Acts 16. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, our typical approach to this series so far has been to observe various principles and practices from the events recorded here in the book of Acts, to be challenged by them, to learn from them and grow from them. But before we can do that this morning, I think we need to spend some time unpacking and understanding what we're exactly seeing in this story before us. And the first thing that I think we're meant to see in this story is an intentional emphasis Because on the surface, the story can seem quite jarring. We see things like the Holy Spirit forbidding Paul and his companions from preaching the gospel in Asia. And again, the Spirit not allowing them to preach the gospel in Bithynia. Paul and his companions are striving to fulfill the Great Commission. They long to preach the gospel to all nations, to make disciples wherever they go. They have just set out from Jerusalem to revisit the churches that they had planted on Paul's first missionary journey and to give them the the report of what the council at Jerusalem had decided regarding the relationship to Christians and the law, especially circumcision. So they've given the report. They've encouraged these churches. And now they long to set out to continue the work of preaching the gospel and planting churches in Asia, which for our reference is modern-day Turkey. Yet the Holy Spirit does not allow them. So then they pivot, and they decide to go north, to the coast of the Black Sea, and preach the gospel in Bithynia. And again, the Spirit forbids them. So they continue along the coast. They end up in Troas, where Paul is finally given a vision, calling him to go to Macedonia. And all of this, I'm sure, leaves us with a few questions. Questions like, why were they not allowed into Asia or Bithynia? Why weren't they allowed to preach the gospel to the people there? How did the Holy Spirit exactly forbid them? These are just a few of the many questions this story leaves us with. But I want you to notice something. That the text doesn't even attempt to answer those questions. That this passage is striking in the lack of detail it provides. And I think that's intentional. I think that Luke is intentionally leaving out these details. He's leaving out the answers to the questions that we would love to know because he wants to make it clear that the point of the text is not how the Spirit forbid them or how the Spirit directed these apostles. The point of the text is not why he made these decisions, why they weren't allowed into Asia or Bithynia. The point is that these apostles were led by the Holy Spirit. The point is that the Spirit gave direction, and they followed. That's abundantly clear from the lack of other details provided. It is the intentional emphasis of the passage. And it's the first thing we see in the story. The second thing we see is a principle of tension, But to see this most clearly, we actually have to look at this story within its larger narrative context. I want to look back for a second to what we saw a couple weeks ago in Acts 15. After the Jerusalem Council, where the apostles and elders gathered together to decide what to do about the Judaizers, who were saying that people needed to be circumcised in order to be saved, after they had come to their decision, they met and decided it would be good to send some people with Paul and Barnabas to deliver a letter to the churches detailing the council's decision. We find this letter in Acts fifteen twenty-five and so on. It reads this, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Notice how Luke records what the apostles and elders said. It seemed good to us to choose men and send them to you. The apostles and elders in Jerusalem used their discernment. They used their wisdom to make a decision on the best people to send with Paul and Barnabas. But it's interesting to notice the shift then from Acts 15 to here in Acts 16. In Acts 15, the apostles used their wisdom and discernment, and they make decisions on the best way forward. Yet here in Acts 16, these same apostles use their wisdom and discernment and decide it's best to preach the gospel in Asia, yet the Holy Spirit forbids it. I love the way that David G. Peterson captures this tension. In his commentary, he writes this. Once again, the narrator shows keen interest in the dialogue between human purpose and divine purpose, indicating that Jesus' witnesses too must patiently endure the frustration of their own plans in order to discover the opportunity that God holds open. This opportunity may not be the next logical step of human calculation. We see here in the text God closing some doors on the Apostle Paul's missionary efforts. Yet while they were in Troas, no doubt slightly frustrated and confused as to what they should do about these closed doors, God opens a window. God frustrates their desires to share the gospel in Asia and Bithynia, and leads them to bringing the gospel to Europe for the first time. He closes these two doors and opens a window. And that window leads into major gospel growth and expansion into Europe by God's grace. It leads into the planting of numerous churches. The lack of details in this passage, once again, is the primary emphasis. That these are men who are paying attention to the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. Men who are humble enough to submit their plans to the leadership of the Spirit. It's important for us to remember that the stories here in the book of Acts describe what happened, that they're not always intended to prescribe for us exactly how things should look now. However, we also know that the events of Pentecost set the precedent for all Christians at all times, that all Christians, that all of those who have turned from their sin who've put their faith in Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead are filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but God cares about the lives and directions of his people. Once again, Peterson's helpful here. He writes this, We cannot expect the regular guidance of visions and prophecies in our everyday decision-making, but we are encouraged by Luke's narrative to believe in God's sovereign overruling, an intervention to direct the progress of his word and his people where necessary. Naturally, we should not expect the Holy Spirit to intervene in any and all circumstances. This is pretty obvious, isn't it? We don't expect to receive a vision every night telling us whether we should eat cornflakes or Cheerios in the morning. But what we do expect, and what we should and can expect, is the Holy Spirit to be present, to be active in the church, as we seek to fulfill God's commands. We can and should expect the Holy Spirit to work in us, to work in our decision-making processes. And sometimes, just like with Paul and his companions here, the Spirit closes some doors and opens others. And sometimes this does happen through extraordinary means, like Paul's vision of the Macedonian man. But more often than not, the Spirit works through ordinary means, like the advice of a friend, like not getting the job offer you expected, ordinary means. Our responsibility is to seek out the Spirit's guidance, to be thoughtfully considering how we go about making decisions. Frankly, there is no cookie-cutter approach to ensuring that we are being led by the Spirit. There is no step-by-step instruction manual to make sure that we are 100% in step with the Spirit at all times what we see in our text this morning rather are principles that we can help employ to position ourselves to be to be led by the spirit so far this morning we've seen the intentional emphasis of the passage that christians ought to be led by the spirit of god we've seen the principle of tension between our initiative and between god's sovereign plan and purposes And now we're going to turn our attention to four principles on how we can live out that tension. Four principles that help put us in a place where we can more clearly notice the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Principles that position us in a way that we are more able to respond to those leadings. And the first principle that we see in our text this morning, and one that helps position us to be led by the Holy Spirit, is to maintain biblical priorities. When we consider this story this morning, we consider the way the Holy Spirit intervenes and redirects Paul and his companions. It's imperative that we remember that while God clearly prioritized Macedonia as a mission field above Asia and Bithynia, these brothers were clearly had biblical priorities. They were clearly striving to obey Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. Paul and his companions were seeking to obey the word of God. They wanted to do what God had commanded. And it's this desire to do the will of God that made it possible for the Spirit to redirect them. You see, when we are already moving in the right direction, it is easier for the Spirit to move us where we need to be. The problem is that so often we prioritize the wrong things. So often our strongest desires and our top priorities are not shaped and informed by Scripture but simply by what we want. I remember a time back when I was younger and working at summer camp as a counselor. And there was this other female counselor that I had a big crush on. And being a godly young man, I wanted to make sure that it was God's will for me to pursue this lady. So I prayed to God and I asked if it was his will. Now I couldn't couldn't tell if it was his spirit working in my heart or if it was just butterflies. So I came up with a plan. I took out a quarter and I prayed to God. I said, God, if it's your will, let this quarter land on heads. <laughs> so I flipped the quarter and it spins over and over in the air and it lands in my hand and it was tails. <laughs> so I took out the quarter. I said, God, that's two out of three. <laughs> Granted, I was a young man and most young men, all they think about is who they're going to date. But often our lack of clarity Our lack of confidence that we're doing the will of God stems from us having misguided priorities, from caring too much about the wrong things. You see, when our desires and our priorities are shaped by and informed by the word of God, then our hearts are already positioned in such a way that God can move them as he pleases. I love the way that Kevin DeYoung puts it in his book, Just Do Something. Listen to this. So the end of the matter is this, live for God, obey the scriptures, think of others before yourself, be holy, love Jesus. And as you do these things, do whatever else you like, with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you will be walking in the will of God. So if my greatest desires are to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, if my greatest desire is to love my neighbor as myself, then I don't need to be paralyzed by fear over whether I go to university or trade school. I don't need to fret and worry and lose sleep over whether I send my kids to public school, Christian school, or homeschool if my top priority is shaped by the Word of God, if my top priority is to raise them up in the way they should go, to make disciples of them. If we are immersing ourselves in the Word of God, if we are reading it regularly, if we are sitting under biblical teaching and letting it shape our desires and our priorities, then we are putting ourselves in prime position to be moved by and used by the Spirit. We are better equipping ourselves to notice the prompting of the Spirit in our day-to-day lives. We are being guided by the clearly communicated desires of God in His Word. Now let me be abundantly clear here for a moment. The Spirit will never tell us something now that contradicts something we see in Scripture. The Bible is the ultimate standard by which we test every inclination, every leading, every desire that we might think is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never guide you to marry an unbeliever, for example. Neither will he lead you to have an affair on your spouse. Those desires are not from him. We must hold everything that we think the Spirit is saying against the lens of Scripture. We must allow ourselves to be shaped by God's Word so that our priorities are in line with His. That's the first principle we see in this morning that we must maintain biblical priorities. The second principle that positions us to be led by the Spirit is to hold our plans loosely. We see this in the story that Apostle Paul and his companions were willing to change their trajectory in response to the Spirit's leadings, not once, but twice. They had come together and decided that heading into Asia was the best course of action. Then the Holy Spirit intervenes, and they're willing to let go of that plan. They decide to head to Bithynia instead. And once again, the Holy Spirit leads them away from their plan. And once again, they are willing to listen and adjust. Clearly, these brothers did not hold on too tightly to their plans. They were willing to accept the fact that God was closing the doors that they planned on going through. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's much easier for us to sit here and think that we would do the same thing if we were in their position. But unfortunately, more often than not, when God closes the door on our plans, we simply try and break down the door. Or we try and sneakily get our way around the door and continue with our own plans. Imagine, for example, that you planned on moving your family to another town. You've got a new job that allows you to work from anywhere. There's a great house that you've just put an offer on. You're in the process of selling your own home. You've even signed your kids up for the new local soccer league. And then all of a sudden you feel a sense that maybe you shouldn't move your family. you feel a sense that you should... Invest in your local community, to minister there. Would you listen to that? Or would you brush it aside and carry on? Suppose the offer you put in on that house is rejected, even though it was a good offer. Would you take that as confirmation, or would you simply look to buy another house? Suppose a close Christian friend approached you and told you that they felt that you should not be moving, that you should grow where you're planted, that you're needed in this community. Would you listen Now clearly not all of these things are definitive proof that the Spirit is closing a door. But the Holy Spirit does often use these tools. He often moves in similar ways. The point of those questions is simply to get you thinking about how willing you are to let go of your plans. Consider what the Apostle James says in James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James helpfully reminds us that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. And we need to be humble enough to admit that. We need not to be so arrogant as to think that we can plan ahead with 100% certainty and rigidity. We need to hold our plans loosely. We need to be humble and willing to submit our plans to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. Because if we aren't, if we boldly move forward despite the Holy Spirit closing doors, then we can easily find ourselves making serious mistakes often with significant and disastrous consequences. We need to hold our plans loosely if we want to be led by the Spirit. But in order to hold on to our plans, we actually have to make plans in the first place. And that's the third principle we see in the text. Avoid analysis paralysis. Now, I came across that term in the board game community. Many of you who know me know I love board games. And I'm sure that if you've ever played board games with someone, you've met someone who takes 15 minutes to make a turn. They're sitting there thinking about all the possible turns and things, all the things they could do, trying to get the best turn possible. That's analysis paralysis. People who are afraid of not making the best possible move, so they don't make a move. They're paralyzed by indecision. These are the ditches on either side of the spirit-led road here. The ditch on the one side of not being willing to let go of our plans, of stubbornly holding on and persisting. Then there's the ditch on the other side of being so eager to follow the will of God that we are unwilling to actually make any plans or decisions whatsoever in case we get it wrong. In those situations, we become paralyzed by indecision and worry about making the wrong choice or the suboptimal choice. This is often the case for young people trying to determine what to do after high school. They don't know which university to go to, which career to pursue, so they don't really pursue anything. They're afraid to commit to any long-term plan because they worry that it's not God's will for their life. They become paralyzed by indecision and fear. But notice that is not what happened in the text this morning. These men made a plan, and when God shut it down, they made a different plan. They weren't paralyzed by fear. They did not sit and wait for God to give them direction. They moved forward. And when God stopped their plans again, they continued moving. They made their way to the Troas. And if God had not given them clear direction there, I'm sure that they would have continued trying to find ways to preach the gospel, trying to find the proper place. We must make plans. We must take initiative. We must be willing to submit those plans to the Spirit. Once again, David G. Peterson is helpful. He writes this, In conclusion, it ought to be said that the narrative stretching from 1536 to 1610 shows both the importance and the limitation of human initiative in Christian work. The importance and the limitation of human initiative in Christian work. In Acts 15, we saw the initiative of the apostles and elders as they made plans to disperse the verdict of the Jerusalem council. And here in Acts 16, we see the limit of their initiative. These apostles made wise, gospel centered plans, yet the Spirit guided them elsewhere. And so these last two principles that we've seen go hand in hand. We must be willing to make plans, we need to make plans, we cannot sit still. And we must hold those plans loosely with an open hand so that we might surrender them to the Spirit's leading, if need be. Now the fourth and final principle we see in the text this morning that helps position us to receive the Spirit's leading is to seek godly counsel. This principle is demonstrated in the text in verse 10. Look there in your Bibles with me. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice that word right there in the middle. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia. The Apostle Paul had a vision in the night, and he brought it before the group, and they decided as a group on what was the best way to receive this vision and go forward. Notice also that Luke changes there from third person to first person. He no longer says they, he says we. We. This is where Luke joins the Apostle Paul and Silas on their journey for a time. I think that's just a fun fact. The main point here is that Paul received this vision and he discussed it with his peers. And they came to a conclusion about what it meant together. Paul did not come to his own conclusion and then force it upon his peers. Neither did he leave them and feel that the vision was calling him and him alone to do his own thing. The principle being demonstrated here is that we are better able to properly understand and follow the guiding of the Holy Spirit when we do it together. It is wise and beneficial to seek advice and confirmation from mature believers when we think the Spirit might be leading us one way or another. I experienced this personally in my own call to ministry, As I mentioned, I worked at a summer camp growing up, and every summer before that, I went to that same summer camp. I did leadership training courses through that, multi-week programs throughout the summer. And very quickly, in those leadership training programs, I earned the nickname Pastor Scott. I had found that I naturally rose to leadership and teaching positions, whether at that summer camp or at school. And when I graduated high school, I didn't immediately pursue ministry, as I was not sure that's exactly what God was calling me to do. But after a couple years of working in construction and some personal struggles and growth, I began to feel a call to ministry. It felt as if God was leading me and calling me to pastor. And that sense of calling continued to grow in me. But I didn't want to assume that I had interpreted it correctly. I didn't want to just jump in with both feet because I didn't know. So I spoke to my pastor at the time. I told him about what I was feeling. And he spent time with me and gave me opportunities to teach and preach. And as I spoke with him and I spoke with other leaders at the church about my sense of call, about other experiences in my life that seemed to confirm this sense, they affirmed my callings and giftings. They recommended that I pursue formal theological education. It was through these conversations with other older godly men that I was able to confirm what I felt the Holy Spirit was calling me to. You see, without their input, I'm not sure I would ever have the confidence or certainty to begin Bible college. Christians are created for one another. We are created for community. It is perfectly fitting, therefore, that the Holy Spirit leads and guides us best when we work together. There's a reason we have a board of elders and not just one person running the show. We saw the benefit of this exact thing in Acts chapter 15, as the apostles and elders gathered together to make one of the most important theological decisions ever made. They did it in group, in team, together. We've, also, we've already read a little bit from their letter to the churches, but consider what they say in Acts fifteen twenty eight. For it has seemed good to, uh, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. You see, when they made a practical decision, when they made a decision about the best way to disperse this information, this verdict, they used their wisdom and discernment. But when they made a theological decision, and one of the most important theological decisions ever made that changed the trajectory of the church, they say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They worked together to determine the will of the Holy Spirit who spoke to them in community. So similarly, friends, if you think the Holy Spirit is leading you, if the Holy Spirit is opening certain doors in your life, or if you think he may be shutting them, talk to other mature believers about it. Seek the input of those who you know love the Lord and who love you. Again, this is not a foolproof approach. We've already said there's no 100% guarantee that you and those you trust will make every decision correctly. Paul and Silas got it wrong twice before the Spirit finally led them to Macedonia. Community and fellowship do not guarantee that we will be 100% correct in being led by the Spirit. As we said at the beginning, there is no step-by-step instruction manual for making sure that we are always in step with the Spirit. Rather, these are principles that help position us. Principles that put us in a place where we are better equipped to notice the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Principles that help prepare us to respond appropriately to the leadership of the Spirit. By ensuring that our desires and priorities are in line with the Word of God. By making plans accordingly and holding them loosely. And by being in regular fellowship with this, in discussion with other believers, we can be better positioned as individuals, but also as a church, to be led by the Holy Spirit into fruitful gospel ministry. That's the goal after all, isn't it? Paul and Silas' submission to the Spirit led to major gospel growth and the planting of many more churches for the glory of God. Friends, the overarching will of God for your life is clear. Jesus commanded it to his disciples in Matthew 28, saying, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen to that last line again. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is why Jesus ascended. This is why the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. So that the Spirit might be in us, in each and every one of us at all times. That we have the promise and the security of the Holy Spirit. That we are not doing this on our own. We've seen that this morning. We've seen a powerful example of how the Spirit moves to bring about gospel fruitfulness in the church. We have seen the principles that help position us to receive and to respond to the Spirit's work. That by God's grace, we can position ourselves to be mighty instruments in God's hands, in Aurelia and wherever we might be. That we might be tools used by God for major gospel growth for our good and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that without your word, we would be directionless, wandering, lost, without hope. Lord, but you have chosen to speak to us, to give us the truth, to guide us with your word. Lord, and so we thank you. God, we pray that through your Holy Spirit and through your word, you would work in us. That you would lead us and guide us. Lord, that no matter what we do, no matter what career we pursue, but no matter where we live, God, that we would be instruments in your hand. That we would be faithful disciple makers, gospel proclaimers. Lord, that we would be salt and that we would be light. Lord, that we would be humble enough to submit to your spirit. But so that you may use us effectively. Lord, for your glory, wherever we may go. Amen.